When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. The San Francisco Giants podcast for SB Nation. I'm Brian Murphy, contributor at McCoveyChronicles.com. And with me is Doug Brazzoni, who writes about the Giants at GiantsDoug.Substack.com. We have a great uh, show this week, as good as any of the others. Right, Doug? Oh, my God. It is equally good to every other show we've ever done, unless you don't like the other shows, in which case it's much better. The only difference is this week we're going to be joined by Roger Munter, who used to cover the Giants minor league system at McCovey Chronicles with his minor lines feature, and he now covers them uh, on his substack. There are Giants, and he'll be joining us in a few minutes. Right now, I just wanted us to do a quick recap. The Giants, Doug, have, they've officially been eliminated from postseason contention. Oh, man. Oh, my God. a lot closer than that should have been, huh? <laughs> If they hadn't lost on Saturday, there there would have been a little more. Well, they would have still been knocked out on Saturday because the Phillies wound up winning two games over the weekend. But still, <laughs> if they had just kept winning, <laughs> it would have been something. Uh, instead, they they lose the season series to the Diamondbacks. Bizarre after going two and seventeen last year, and then they go ten or going seventeen and two against the Diamondbacks last year. They go ten and nine after a walk off win, winning two or three. Closing out the Holmes season, uh, Gabe Kapler made a, a brief, a, a surprisingly uh, brief for him comment to the crowd afterward, uh, basically saying that you know we're gonna we're gonna do better next year. We vow to come back stronger than ever next year and make you proud. Which is about 
six sentences shorter than I thought the address would be. Um, I don't know. The Giants uh, did not do anything that would have uh, made us joke about them, right? They just kind of had a mediocre season. The game didn't have any significance. wasn't a microcosm, like you said. I don't want to step on your jokes, Doug. I'm trying to set you up here. <laughs> well, I, I, I couldn't even do my joke. Like, they load the bases with nobody out in the bottom of the 10th. I'm like, all right, if they don't score here and they lose the game, like, this is ultimate 2022 Giants. And they scored, like, immediately. They won the game immediately. I was like, well, what is this? I don't know what this team is. I don't know who these guys are. That's what happens when you call Baltimore River Cats. They don't know how to play Giants baseball. They right. let us all down. Uh, that is an excellent point. They haven't learned the ropes yet. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the weeks, the next couple weeks are going to be. We're going to have a season wrap-up show next weekend um, or the following week to kind of cover the strengths and, and weaknesses of the year, pluses and minuses, I guess. And maybe we'll get some news, some transactional news in terms of extensions or outright releases, etc. which... I don't know. I guess I guess if you look if you ignore last year altogether, it, it is shaping up to potentially be a very exciting offseason for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, if you take 2021 out of it, the Giants are on up on an upward trend. So I mean, you know, because they were they were obviously awful 2017, bad 2018, 2019, mediocre 2020, and now maybe a little bit better this year than they were in 2020. Or, you know. By, by winning percentage, obviously. Um, so, you know, they you could make an argument that they're doing better, but after after last year, you want them to actually be good. And that's that's a lot to ask. I mean, good? Come on. Yeah. Well, I, I think an important... Well, this is what my thought is for next year. They need one of the players to make a gigantic... or make a decent investment in something and have that investment pay off like by 300%. And I and then that will motivate them to have an amazing season which will be like a plus like it'll just it's a rising tide raising all the ships and the team will just magically do better. That, that to me that's the only thing that's explaining 2021 at this point. <laughs> was that Buster Posey was like I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> And he was just so nice to everybody and open and like, I will take the time to talk to all these young players. I'll do whatever they ask of me. I'm like totally relaxed, whatever, man. (laughs) This is it. I mean, that's, that's true. He, uh, (laughs) and you know, but Buster, let's just be clear. Buster made the investment in body armor in 2014. So we can just get one of those investments to get started next year. And the giants are guaranteed to win the world series. Is that how it works? There we go. Okay, that there, that's an excellent point. Uh, one last point that we must make before Roger comes in um, is that the Giants in their San Francisco history have only been to the postseason in back-to-back years one time. Yeah, Do you know three. That's it. Yep. <laughs> so that's bizarre, but also a good quality bar for <laughs> if we're judging um, – Far anxiety versus say Brian Sabian. I'm like, well, Brian Sabian was somehow able to drag this franchise to the postseason in back-to-back years, and then that was the year after they lost Jeff Kent. And you thought, oh no, what are they going to do? Um, and no, it worked out. So there, there's the quality line. Okay, we're going to come right back, and it's going to be Roger Munter, and we're going to talk about the Giants minor leagues and a little preview. It's positive, pretty positive. 
Mostly positive. It's positive. It's positive. (laughs) Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And now joining us is Roger Munter from There Are Giants. Uh, I've said this last time you were on, Roger. I'm just really happy to see how well it's doing, how well you're doing with it. Roger loves the Giants farm system more than the Giants ever have. And, uh, and there's a lot of tender love and care in there. There's there's posts all every day. It's there's podcasts. There's there's commentary. Uh, you got me fired up when the second half of the minor league season post started, and you kind of laid it out like this is it. This is the chance for everyone to co- all the all the people trying. It's the second half. Let it all out on the field. And I got fired up reading it. And um, your wrap up for the end of the year is kind of what caused me to rope you in here today and that is you know it, hey some good things happened on, down on the farm this year well after i got you fired up what were your second half numbers oh my second half numbers well i'm i'm back to blogging regularly about the giants so there's that <laughs> you know i i did a i did a post just the other day with you know because at the end of the year you always do the like the the lists and the best subs and all this stuff and so i thought i would do a post that was just my favorite things I saw this year, uh, and I, which gave me a chance to talk about how I started doing it, which was just, I, I just wanted to be in a, in a happy place. I was, uh, I had been in a place that maybe wasn't that happy for me, and I just wanted to be in a happy place. And my wife encouraged me and said, Where are you happy? And I said, Yeah, I'm happy at minor league baseball games. And she said, Okay, go do something about that. And so, you know, I got this site going. And as you say, it is, it is a labor of love. I, I'll sometimes get people looking at me a little strange. You're like, you really, you really love this, don't you? I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe a little too much. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I go, I went to, I don't know, half of Richmond's home games this year. I took a trip out to the complex. I took a trip to Eugene, to San Jose, um, spring training. Uh, it really is a labor of love, and I do posts every day. Except I, I just transitioned to the off season, so off season is three posts a week plus a podcast usually. Uh, so for people coming in, it, it, I still do a lot of work because it's all the the I'm going to do a top fifty ranking. I'm going to do a long series on the Rule Five decisions that the Giants have in front of them, which is pretty complicated. So there's a lot of great stuff coming up uh, in the off season. So hopefully three times a week it will will be sufficient for people. And Roger talks to players. He talks to coaches. He talks to industry people. This is, so this isn't just Doug and I, as as knowledgeable as we are. Uh, this is you know this is uh, a lot of shoe leather going into this. A lot of connections. Um, you know, you subscribe, you get more more content. You got a nice deal going on. So check it out. But in the meantime, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> listen to what we got going on here i mean doug i'm jumping on your your big thing but there is one player you put in all caps i think we should start there yeah so i mean roger von brown von friggin brown <laughs> that's right uh i mean what a year what a year i i went to poppy go park i went to the minor league 
uh, camp in spring. And the first day I was there, I talked to this guy who I know who's a scout for another organization um, who used to play, you know, in the majors. And I said, you know, who are you, who are you looking at? Who do you really like? And he's like, Vaughn Brown was the first name out of his mouth. And there's, you know, and then it's like Marco Luciano. I'm like, whoa, really? And then I was watching and I'm like, yeah, this guy's got something. And then through the spring, you know, the way other teams do it is they'll, they have certain scouts who cover, you know, two or three organizations and they'll go sit on every team. So they'd go to San Jose, they'd go to Eugene, and then they'd come to Richmond. And I'd always ask him, you know, well, who'd you see out there? You liked Vaughn Brown, first name out of everybody's mouth. And it's an incredible story. And, and yes, he was old <laughs> for the levels, but this is a guy with just an amazing physicality. Uh, Brian Bridges is the national cross checker, you know, kind of comped him to Gabe Kapler because there's something similar about that sort of total dedication to, to fitness, to, you know, explosive kind of athleticism, to eating right, to, you know, never missing a day in the gym. And it really translates to the field in an incredible way. Um, you know, unfortunately when he got to double a, he, he, he got hurt almost immediately, but this is a guy who could really could be a, good impact major league outfielder soon. I mean, he's going to, he's a double a, he, he can move fast and he plays an incredible game. It's just fun to watch. He steals every time he gets on first, he has incredible power with this really short, sharp swing that just impacts the ball. It's, you know, a 10th round guy, fifth year senior who was getting his NBA uh, just an amazing sort of scouting development and mostly, you know, him himself putting in the work every day. He's going places. He is going to be a guy. Uh, it's just incredible that he went from sort of a name nobody knew a year ago to one of the most interesting stories on the farm this year. I was going to make the Gabe Kapler comp because in the SI.com profile of him, he's doing the uh, lap pull down and I'm, <laughs> and I'm going, Oh, he looks like he's got Gabe Kapler's physique there. So that was going to be my, now I made the comp right there. I guess, I guess my follow up question on Vaughn Brown is, are the giants allowed to have impact outfielders come to <laughs> their farm system? <laughs> I've been looking at the books on this, and it does not appear there's any MLB regulation that prevents it. <laughs> okay. Is it sort of an informal agreement that they won't do it? Or? Might have been a, kind of a Conor Gillespie handshake thing. Okay. Maybe. Okay. I'm yeah. not sure. I mean, I actually remember when they had them once upon a time because I'm super old. Um, but, yeah, maybe, you know, so maybe it's one of those callbacks, one of those retro things. He did something that uh, only four minor leaguers have done since 2006. Uh, uh, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, a 300 average, 400 on base percentage, and 600, 600 slugging percentage. Yeah. yeah, there are all kinds of numbers like that where he's one of a very small group that did, whether it's the you're looking at the on base or the, the average or this, you know, with the stolen bases. He had 44 stolen bases, 25 home runs. He led – all minor league hitters in batting average. He led all minor league hitters in OPS. He was, I think, fifth in slugging. I mean, no matter kind of how you pile up these really impressive numbers, probably this was the best offensive season by a Giants prospect 
since Brandon Belt in 2010, I would say, who did a similar kind of come from out of nowhere to suddenly be a major leaguer in, in a year kind of performance. And uh, in the following season, he was up in the big leagues. On, on opening day. Yeah. So I, I would say, especially what you mentioned with the stolen bases and the new rules and all that, uh, maybe. It's not impossible. But uh, I think that's the larger theme is like, oh, there are players worth getting excited about who actually might be able to help the Giants next year. And to that end, I'm pushing us right into the to the Kyle Harrison discussion. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. So a, a, a piece I wrote the other day was, was why you should feel excited about the farm system this year. And the reason I wrote that is because I keep getting, you know, people on Twitter will say, oh, it's it's mostly been bad news this year, right? Or it's been more bad than than good. And I and I get that because there were a lot of guys you expected performances from who didn't have them. Um, I remember at the beginning of the year when I was in Richmond, I was saying the second half of the year is going to be awesome because, you know, Marco Luciano is going to be here in Richmond and, and, and Louis Matos is going to be here. Uh, and they weren't. And then, so there's a little bit of a bummer associated with that. But on the other hand, you look up the end of the year and Kyle Harrison is dominating and Von Brown has got to double A and Casey Schmidt is in double A doing really, really well. And Cole Waits has blasted through double A, you know, on his way to the majors. And it was really a lot of talent got to the upper minors this year. It just wasn't necessarily the ones you expected to get there. Other than Harrison, who I will come back. I did hear you. You asked me a question there, so I'll come back and answer it here in a moment. Um, but that's the thing we've been waiting for is to get some of this talent out of a ball and into the upper minors where you can see that they're on a path to get to the majors. Um, and it, it hadn't been happening or, or like with Elliot Ramos, he wasn't able to be successful once he got here. So to see all these guys in double A having success at the end of the year, I think really, really is a big step forward. Uh, but Kyle Harrison, yeah, this is if Von Brown's had the best year since Brandon Belt, Kyle Harrison just had the best year since Madison Bumgarner was was 19 years old or 18 years old. Um, you know, going from a completely overwhelmed high A. I mean, com- they they almost had no choice but to push him up to Double A back in May because he struck out 50 percent of the people he faced in, in high A. They were just mm, like yes. <laughs> he, he wasn't developing there because these guys weren't, you know, challenging him. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't saying this is a ball. I shouldn't swing at it. They weren't saying this is, you know, a slider in the dirt. I shouldn't swing at it. They were just getting up there, getting their hacks and going back to the dugout. So, yeah, they move him up to double A in May. He was the youngest pitcher in Richmond's franchise history. And they were like, you know, two starts, maybe three starts at the beginning where, where there was an adjustment period. He was like, oh, these guys can hit good pitching. How about that? And uh, and he started doing some things different. But after that, I mean, he he kind of dominated double A as a 20-year-old, which is amazing to say. You know, he he was second in the, in the minors in strikeouts, and the only guy with more strikeouts than him had like 60 more innings than he did. Mm-hmm. Um, he just had these feats – he had a game where he came back from the Futures game and they were keeping him on a pitch count. So he's only going to throw three innings. He walked the first guy and then struck out the next nine. Uh, he had, his, in fact, his last playoff game, which uh, I'm sure – I know he was disappointed that he didn't stay in longer. Uh, he, he, he got his pitch count up a little high. But he got nine outs and they were all strikeouts against a double-A playoff team. I mean, 
his his I think uh, Trey Wilson, who is the director of communications for Richmond, researched back to 1960, which is before the current kind of minor league organization structure existed. Harrison had the highest K per nine of anybody with 100 innings pitched in a season. In that's now the last 62 years. Uh, it's you know there are things that there are things still to work on. Although his strike throwing got way better uh, through this season, but the stuff is just legitimately crazy. The stuff will compete. You know, he still have to go through the adjustments the guys have to go through when they get up there. But this is some crazy stuff. Four and a half years uh, lower than the average age in Double A as well. You yeah. know, as you know, as much as Casey Schmidt is ahead. Uh, sorry, Von Brown is ahead uh, age wise. You right. know, Harrison is sort of the other end of that spectrum. Um, and they're both dominating, which I would say in either scenario is what you hope for in that or situation if you want them to be top prospects. Um, and he really, if you talk to scouts, one thing they'll always say about uh, Harrison is that he pitches much older than his age. Like he's a great competitor. He makes adjustments when things aren't working right. He he pitches smart in addition to just pitching well. Um and you figure, you know, there's still some some man muscle coming. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty ex- exciting package, that, that kid. I also have to be doubly biased because he went to the same high school I did, you know, several several decades apart. And uh, it'd just be great to uh, have a great baseball player on the Giants from De La Salle. So. He's not the only De La Salle guy in the system, you know. I'm sure there. I'm blanking. It's Bailey, right? And there's uh, Armani Smith. Armani Smith, right? That was right. I wrote about him. That's right. <laughs> it's been a while. Really, really, really nice guy. Very so, nice I mean, we're thinking about Harrison. The Giants are going to have at least one gigantic hole in their rotation next year. I mean, if I, it doesn't matter if you've talked to anybody, but do you think that they're Fingers crossing, kind of hoping, kind of expecting, planning for Harrison to start opening day with them? Or do you think that's probably a May-June thing? You know, my instinct is it's going to be something very similar to Bumgarner. His his trajectory has been very Bumgarner-ish so far. Mm-hmm. And though he didn't, you know, so Bumgarner did the exact same thing. He started in high A, moved up to double A by about May of that second year. And then he got that little cup of coffee in the majors in, in September of that year, 2009, uh, which was a little odd. And then they sent him back to triple A for, I don't know, I think maybe the first two months. And then he was up around June. I mean, that seems right, although, you know, contingency always comes into play there. If they if they have him in AAA and a need happens fast, I can see them moving him up. But uh, I would guess it's not an opening day thing just because that's a lot of pressure. And there, and there legitimately are things, you know, to work on. One, if you, if you want to really pick a nit, uh, he had a high home run rate in AA this year. Once he got up to AA, his mistakes got hit. So learning to make sure that he has quality pitches in the strike zone, you know, maybe that's another uh, a kind of last frontier that he has to figure out. There, there are adjustments he's going to make. And when he gets to the majors, there will be adjustments he needs to make, right? Remember when Timmy came up and we were sure. all excited and that first day the Phillies, you know, knocked him all over the park? You know, you got to figure stuff out at that level, even with great stuff. But when you have great stuff, you can figure it out faster. And that's, I think, probably what we're going to see from him. Um, but I'd guess June. But what I'm hearing is the stuff of Carlos Rodon and the rough of Alex Wood. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's about right. You know, what's funny is he doesn't always pitch with like Rodon kind of um, velo, right? His stuff isn't always, in fact, it, it usually isn't like 97, 98. He, he'll throw 97, uh, but it's frequently much more 93, 94, but he'll throw at that level and get swings like he's throwing 98. Mm. Um, and Jeffrey Ponce, who is uh, at Baseball America, came on my podcast once and talked about kind of the all those baseball savant kind of things about his pitches that makes makes it such a unicorn. And it has to do with his arm angle and uh, the vertical approach and the spin rate. And there's a lot going on with the specific shapes of his pitch that make him much, much stuffier, if uh, that's a word, to hitters than, you know, just the radar gun says. Um so it is kind of that way. It is kind of Rodon mixed with rough because uh, with wood because the arm angle and the deception is all part of why it plays up so much. Uh, but then he also has really really good stuff. In fact, I, I keep saying that you know the changeup one day is going to be his best pitch, and he doesn't really throw it near enough. But it's a it's like a knockout pitch, and he uses it as a third pitch right now. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of frontiers for this. Oh game. man, hearing that, Brian Sebi and Dick Ditcher are going to like try to fight to get in there to push the changeup. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Dick Ditcher, wherever he is, will have some, <laughs> some good words of advice. Um, okay, so I think one other guy I want to talk about. I also want Doug to get in here, so please don't uh, don't. Dick Tidrow, by the way, I'm aware of his situation of not being alive. <laughs> I just want to make it very clear. I just want to make it very clear that that was part of the joke. Brian Sabian's <laughs> going to be rushing in, and Dick Tidrow's going to be haunting Brian Bannister, who we'll get to later, <laughs> and, and talk about, like, change up, change up. But I can't imagine a Giants pitching prospect having the potentially great uh, change up, and if anyone has any say in and it not pushing that. Um, anyway. Yeah, I assumed, it was just, I assumed it was just like a Hamlet's father situation. <laughs> what I was thinking, but I realized I had to, I had to make it clear. But I think I think Harrison like is maybe the last guy that Tidro ever ever looked at that they drafted, maybe. Because I think Tidro does play into the Kyle Harrison draft story somehow. Okay, we'll see. All the more reason. Maybe he just maybe he just left a tab in the folder that said change up. <laughs> Get to this. <laughs> okay. I want to, so real quick, sort of in the same area, we've kind of talked about two, your top two players of the system this year. Casey Schmidt, I want to mention, because this guy went all the way from single A to triple A and, and is, is throwing highlights out there that you're more excited than I've ever seen you before, to be honest. And, um, and I want Schmidt happening. With the Giants, <laughs> <laughs> Schmidt Schmidt could happen. It's it's definitely true. Yeah, I you know last year, so his first year, twenty twenty one, when he was in San Jose, um, it, people were a little bit down on him because his numbers, you know, they weren't great for a college guy. Um, but I went out and watched him, and I'm like, well, this this guy's like the best defensive player in the system. I think you know he was really really impressive. He's got this lightning quick transfer from his glove hand. He throws from all these angles. He's got a, you know, cannon for an arm. It's, everything's accurate. Just everything about him defensively was really impressive. And then when I watched him hitting, he was hitting the ball hard. Uh, it, it wasn't always translating, but 
I was like, I, this guy's really good. I think people are sleeping on him. So it was super exciting to me to see the year he came out and had this year. And, you know, he, he went to, he, he finished the last couple of games in AAA, but, you know, he mostly he was in high A and AA. But I think what was really important about that is he moved up to AA, which is usually a step that guys will trip on um, because it's a big jump for hitters. Pitchers in AA are much better than, than high A. And he really didn't miss a beat. He was just he was taking really good at bats. He was doing all those things with Giants like good swing decisions, you know, not chasing outside the zone, hard contact uh, to all fields. Um, I, you know, the, I, I, there's a question I think of how much power he's going to end up having, um, but it's it's a real big league glove with a very strong approach at the plate. And he's a guy. I don't know if he's going to start next year in AAA. Like if that little. A taste of it at the end of the year meant they're going to push him up or if they may send him back to, to Richmond for another month or so. Uh, but he's a guy who's close too. I mean, wh- when you're in double A and having success, you can move fast. I, I think when, I mean, to that point, I mean, his strikeout to walk, he went from two to one strikeouts to walk in, in high A to five to one in double mm-hmm. A. And it was, you know, he still slugged five seventeen. And, you know, had a 380 on base percentage, basically. Um, so I could see, you know, why they moved him up also the just to get that little taste, but to keep him playing, right? And, right, because um, right, the and, season had ended. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, him starting in double A and, and doing just as well and maybe adjusting that, that ratio probably helps him. It's just an interesting situation. In a way, it kind of came out of nowhere. We were... Uh, through around the all-star break and everything it was vr 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 and vr has certainly done he did enough to earn his way up and then when he came up he's played very he's played well and um and so it's just an interesting traffic jam the giants seem to be having for once a good uh, problem for them to have position player wise and with and then they went and got jd davis to to toss in there yeah and uh, vr and schmidt are very different players so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out over the next couple of years, uh, you know, VR is another pretty exciting success story. This is a guy who, True. you know, they did not protect him from the Rule 5 draft last year, you know, which I think was probably a good reflection of where he was in his development. Um, but he got a lot better in 2021, and then he got a lot, lot better in 2022. And, you know, he's one of those kind of Cardinals devil magic players, right, who just – kind of sneaks his way along, gets better in the upper minors and turns himself into a productive big leaguer. Uh, I think they can move him around, which is, which is useful, but um, those are two really good development success stories from this year. True. And neither one of them though, look too much like Gabe Kapler, which could be a mark against them. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) That is Brian's theory of giants play development, (laughs) which we started off with the Von Brown thing kind of supporting. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, But I'm not sure I really want to see a pitcher who looks like Gabe. (laughs) You say that now, (laughs) Kyle Harrison, get under the knife here. It's uh... (laughs) a, All right, uh, get in here. Um, so you know we, we've we've talked about some of the success stories. So kind of a, more of a mixed bag, I would say, is Sean Roby, who in Richmond had a ton of power, hit a lot of homers, but you know, two nineteen batting average, two eighty six on base percentage, one hundred and forty strikeouts, and three hundred and fifty three plate appearances. Yeah. Can he make enough contact to be a major leaguer? I mean, that's that's the question. Roby's not the only person in the organization that that question hovers over um but it certainly is the question and the power is 
jaw-dropping. I mean, he did things at that park that there, there was a game in the very first week of the season where he hit two home runs and one of them was off the top of the scoreboard in far left center and the other was off the top of the batting eye. And I swear people who had been coming to see Richmond games for years and years and years were buzzing about that for weeks. They're like, I've never seen anything like that. And the players were buzzing about it. I mean, like the when when you impress your contemporaries, you know you've done something. When he hits the ball, it is something to see. But he just is not making enough contact. Um, and it's it's not all chase, too. A lot of it is, is lack of contact in the zone. Um He's gotta he's gotta find a way to to cover some of those holes because the power is big league power. Uh, unfortunately for him, his his second half just descended into a a series of of, of injuries, strange injuries. I think he was on the IL four different times the second half. Uh, I remember when he broke the the Richmond strikeout rec- uh, home run record, which was VR's set last year. He, it was July fourth I think when he broke that record and I was like he's gonna decimate this record he's gonna like double this record and in fact he he hit like only one or two of the rest of the year and ended at 25 um but so I guess the answer really Doug is you know you hope so because if he can that tool is a is a legit big league tool but obviously there there are challenges to get there I'll tell you another guy too who's very different player, very different player. But Tyler Fitzgerald is kind of in that that same bucket as a guy who really athletic, good middle infielder. I think he could move around the outfield if they wanted to. He's fast. He's you know the first twenty twenty player in, in Richmond's history. Um, but he was like second in the league in strikeouts, and a lot of that was early when he really struggled. But it's the same thing. It's like this guy can really help a team with all of the many things he does well if he can mitigate this one thing that he's really struggling with. Yeah. And the, another interesting thing about Roby is that if you look at his stats, 25 homers, only seven doubles, like you would expect someone with power yeah. would, would be hitting it, you know, hard down the line would be hitting it hard to the wall. Even if it doesn't go out, that just, I guess, didn't happen. When he hits it hard, it goes, it's, <laughs> it's the, the low ones went through the wall and all the others <laughs> went over the wall. You know, it's fascinating though. It's just like, before the pandemic, when he was at short season ball, I think he led that league in hitting and only had like one home run. So <laughs> how we got from there to here, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but, you know, there's a big leaguer there somewhere if he can if he can kind of make those adjustments. Is there a big leaguer in, in Hunter Bishop? Well, that there is a question. <laughs> um, you know, He's got to get on the field. I mean, he just really hasn't had many reps. And he was a guy who, when he was drafted, needed reps. I mean, the whole thing about him was he was a, a two-sport guy who was incredibly athletic, but very raw in terms of baseball skills. And, you know, if you the, the guys who aren't really big fans of his in the scouting world, they'll say things like, you know, he looks like an athlete. He doesn't look like a baseball player, you know. The tools are all there, but he has to kind of refine them into game skills. But he can't do that if he's not playing. And he he basically missed all of 2021. Of course, he missed 2020, you know, through no fault of his own. He missed like the last month, I think, of the 2019 season when he was in short season ball. This year, he was out there for the first three, four months. And you could see him kind of 
starting to gain some some steam as he finally got some some stable reps but then once again he was off the field for a month or so i think the second half and it's just it's like he's constantly relearning how to hit again after these long layoffs and you know at some point he just has to get steady reps and then you know maybe because he really is a pretty kind of freakish athlete maybe if that happens someday it clicks in and he goes fast but he's got to get the reps doesn't look a lot like gabe kepler so, <laughs> you know, he's one guy who maybe could physically intimidate Kepler. <laughs> he's a big, big dude. He's 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 a strong safety. He's a, he a looks like a strong safety. He looks like a friendlier JD Davis. <laughs> he does seem like a very friendly guy. I've never actually gotten to to talk to Hunter, unfortunately, because he's never anywhere. Right. Right. Every, every time where I go to his team, he's he's on the IL, so I miss him. Uh, so I've, I've sadly never got to spend any time with him. But he certainly seems like an extremely friendly, uh, gregarious guy. Now, this sets me up perfectly for Elliot Ramos because he's playing all the time and also seems kind of friendly. But he is <laughs> he has, he is kind of uh, not the bizarro Hunter Bishop. He's, he's sort of Hunter Bishop with playing time and that it, do- it doesn't look like it's happening for him. But he's also still kind of young enough where we should just go, man, two disappointing years back to back, right? Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, you can kind of trace the Giants' transaction wire this year and see all the places where they were chasing what they thought they would get out of Elliot Ramos, right? They're just all these guys they picked up to try and plug in that hole because they went into the year thinking that Ramos was going to give them a certain level of, of production or at-bats. Um, I, I don't know what it is. There's just so many – good things about Elliot Ramos, but for whatever reason, he has really struggled the last two years to, to pull the ball, to get the ball in the air to the pull side, which is basically what the game is these days. Um, and he just hasn't been able to do it. He hits the ball really, really hard. You could, this year we got all the baseball savant numbers for AAA. He makes really hard contact, but a ton of it is on the ground and, a lot of it is to the opposite field, which you know the 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 analytics people will say is is a it doesn't play as well to the opposite field. So he's not utilizing his hard contact um, productively, and and I know they've been working with him on his swing all year to try and get him out in front of the ball um, because he's basically hitting everything you know deep in the zone. He's hitting everything uh, over the plate rather than out in front of the plate, which is where. We know power lives these days. Uh, it's a swing adjustment. Uh, it, it seems like one of those guys that, you know, shows up with a new swing and suddenly everything's great. But it's a lot easier to say that than to actually make it happen. Yeah. He's going to be, you know, 20. He just turned 23. So I kind of look at it and I go, still time. Oh, absolutely. There's a ton of time. I mean, look at look at Yaz. And the other thing is he he brings a lot of value to the game with the rest of his game. I mean, he's a good defensive player. He has a great arm. Um, he's fast and he's fun to watch. He's just, um, you know, he's sort of a bulliant. He's a big high energy guy who I'm definitely rooting for. I mean, I'm sure Doug would say the same thing. You, you saw a lot of him this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I 
and uh, Sacramento this year for the first time had all the baseball savant numbers up on the scoreboard. So, you know, somebody swings, you're like, you know, Ramos swings, like, oh, he hit that one 92 miles an hour at an angle of negative 18 degrees. Right, right. <laughs> There's a lot of negative threes up there. Yeah, on, who, is the, page. who is the Mets player that they liked for so long because he hit the ball hard, but it was always like directly into the ground? And it was like just one of those things where the old baseball guys had to learn what the new numbers were. Is it like Eric Campbell or something? I don't know. There was a guy who was on the Mets for a long time for that exact purpose. Anyway, so with it out. Um, That's Hunter Bishop has that too. Hunter Bishop had a huge ground ball rate this year. I mean, you know, and he had so much power that it's, it's kind of like Ramos. You just get the ball in the air, get the ball in the air and it's going to go. Um, right. But, Hit up stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Hit it over the shift. Okay. And if, if you want to learn, like find the nuggets, the, the guys Roger really likes that, that we didn't talk about rogermunter.substack.com. Check it out. Subscribe. Again, good false sale going on. And you can you can see all these ins and outs. I want to focus on sort of some broader things real quick to wrap up here. Sure. Um, uh, you know, Doug, you had a question about the, the, the reshuffling. I wanted you to ask that question. Yeah. So um, this actually came from Kristen. And I was like, that's a great question. I'm going to take credit <laughs> for it. And then I, I didn't take credit for it because that'd be monstrous. Um, so... Uh, for the first, you know, last year, the after the, there was a minor league reorganization, it eliminated the low, the low short season A ball, which right. used to be for the new draftees, um, where you would send the college kids to learn to be professionals for like a half season, and they can get into full season ball, you know, the following season would be the idea. They got rid of that. Have you seen that as an effect? Have you seen that have an effect on development, especially at the lowest level in San Jose? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's had a huge effect. And there's actually a second thing, too, which is kind of tangentially related, um, but it's having a second related effect, which is the later draft. Uh, So the later draft and the elimination of short season ball are having a bunch of development impacts on these lower levels. The biggest one, obviously, on, on, on San Jose and low A ball is guys who aren't ready for full season ball yet, but are too advanced for the complex league are getting pushed out of their comfort level. Uh, a lot of guys, uh, the Giants had a couple people like that this year, um, two 19 year olds as Marilyn Venizio and uh, Manuel Mercedes were both pushed up to San Jose. And I was surprised by both of them. They were both perfect candidates for Salem Kaiser. And it was difficult for both of them. One of them ended up back in the complex later in the year. Uh, Mercedes kind of survived, but he was throwing, he was like walking everybody in sight for the first month of the year. Um, generally speaking, if you talk to scouts about low A right now, they, they'll say uniformly, the pitching is terrible. And it's because there are guys there who shouldn't be at the level yet. Uh, which, And then and the other thing that goes with that is, you always have to be a little bit skeptical of hitting numbers at, at low A now because uh, they're not facing the competition that, that used to be there. The late draft is making the complex level really different because it used to be that the draft guys would come in and they'd, they'd play the second half of the year. Now it's really just this group from extended spring training who's there all season long. That was weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just extended guys playing all summer 
um, which isn't necessarily the best level of competition. So they don't grow as much as they maybe need to. And then you're trying to shove them up to full season ball the next year. It's, it's, they've created this huge, huge leap for kids. Um, and I think the impact of that is that teams are going to draft fewer high school guys because it's high school guys and international kids who are really affected by this because they're the ones who have to go that level by level at the very lowest guy stage the college guys all kind of jump up to a ball pretty seamlessly but the the 18 19 year olds those guys have trouble with it and i think you'll see teams shy away from them a little bit because it's a harder development trajectory for them well anything that uh, the league can do to make things more difficult for players that's certainly uh, <laughs> yeah i was just thinking it. it's it's not nearly hard enough to make the leaders <laughs> so they gotta throw a couple roadblocks up or you'll never read out the bad ones <laughs> uh so you spent some time at the 70 million dollar complex then you said i have been to the 70 million dollar complex a couple times it and it's it's it smells good it, smells new you know the old place <laughs> yeah the old place which was terrible in a many 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 ways but the worst of them was there the, the small little viewing platform for where you could watch the games directly below it was the porta potty that the players used during mm. games and yes i'm going to tell you papago park smells much much better than going <laughs> to see games at indian school and standing above the outhouse so brian the your old uh banner image on twitter of Brian Sabian was at the Indian School Park. In the original photo, you can actually see the porta potty. That's a oh fun fact. <laughs> Doug very craftily saying the original photo. Yeah. <laughs> As I may have manipulated that image a little bit. So. Well, you, you have a new one now. So people, yeah. Uh, that's. Uh, good to know. I didn't even know about the smell being an issue previously, and uh, there, I, there I go. Uh, okay, so yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. It's an impressive facility. <laughs> uh, one person who was not at that facility, and this is my weird transition. Brian Bannister was not there this year. The Giants' pitching guru, who is supposed to be the pitching doctor for the entire system, and I don't expect you to have any insider knowledge or have any sense of that. But just as an opinion, if you care to opine that the Giants hire one of the you know industry leaders in, in pitch development, and he's not able to do at least half of his job. Um, I'm not asking if you saw any impact on that, but it's just sort of, hey, what do you think about that? <laughs> we know the reason why, too, and it seems a little weird. Let me just say, first and foremost, as a fan of the San Francisco Giants for a long, long time, I was disappointed to read that article. And I was disappointed by some of the quotes in that article. So, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 it 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 hurt a little bit to read that article, and I didn't didn't much care for it. As for your question of what the effect of it is, I don't know that it is big on the minor league level. Uh, Interesting. They do they do an awful lot of. I mean, so. I'm going to the games. I, 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 I sit at least for part of them up in the press box. I'm sitting next to the video analyst who's got the Hawkeye system plugging into his computer. Um, so I can tell you, I mean, they're doing remote analysis of stats and biomechanics and 
you know, tendencies and all this stuff on a daily basis at all the affiliates. It's just virtual back and forth transfer of knowledge is pretty common, you know, in their organization, all organizations, because that's where the industry is. But every single game for every team, the player development people in Scottsdale are gathering up the data of, you know, spin rates, exit velocities, um, you know, blast, you know, how hard, how, how guys' bodies are moving. They're gathering up all that data and then spitting it back out to the coaching staff the next day and the coaches are having conversations with the players. Um, you know, that's not really being affected by Brian Bannister being at the park or not, which he really isn't very much anyway. Um, so from the perspective of development, I don't know that it was a big deal. I, I think maybe in the major league side, it might've been more of a big deal. Cause I think he, Brian Bannister specifically talked to people more there, mm-hmm. but I think the, the, the pitch shape, the pitch lab guys, they have uh, working in Scottsdale. Uh, those guys were working with pitchers back in January. I know a lot of people who made some really impressive pitch shape improvements this year. Uh, a lot of that happens in the off season, you know, when guys are working with their own, you know, personal driveline or, or whatever lab they use. Um, so I, I don't know that it's a big thing development wise, because I just think part virtual, part real is the way development happens these days anyway. And most of the information is coming to the guys from their own coaching staff. Got it. All right. Well, that actually kind of makes me feel slightly better Yeah, um, uh, for what's kind of really a, a bad situation. Um, <laughs> uh, so then just to close on this, I, I started the email I said to you, if you could describe the giant system overall in one word, but I just want to point out a couple of things. Giants had a Northwest League championship. Eugene went 81-48. And San Jose went 74-58. and Double-A, 66-61. Triple-A, how many players did they use? Like 700, 65 and 83. You know, uh, the, I think the the lower levels, you, you've you done a marvelous job of pointing to us like these lower guys are starting to break through because for most of the year, it really has been like, well, the Giants are a couple of years away from getting help from the farm because everyone's at the lower levels. That could still be mm-hmm. true, but there's a lot of good mm-hmm. players at the lower levels. Um, Jimmy Glowenke, I remember having a great spring training for the Giants and then he wound up I think he won the championship for Eugene, right? He, he, the, hit, he hit the game, the championship winning home run, yeah. yeah. After a really weird, weird year in which he, he was one of many people who missed a bunch of time with an injury. Um, so it was sort of circuitous. But, yeah, he, he hit the game-winning home run. Um, there's a lot of talent at, at, at low A and, and, and high A. And actually the complex team won their championship too. Um, and they, they, in- they, they weren't covered head-to-toe and shit. <laughs> <laughs> they smelled terrific and they it's a new facility <laughs> that, that seems like it should work uh, i'm gonna say uh and they have a lot of guys who now have rings from multiple teams right there are a lot of guys in uh eugene who won that championship this year who were in san jose winning a championship there last year there were guys, you know, Richmond went to the playoffs for the first time in eight years. They didn't win it, but there were a lot of guys on that team who were part of the Eugene team last year. So you're getting this kind of core group of people who have a lot of hardware at this point, and, and there's a lot of talent there. 
That's interesting because Doug and I, before you came on and we recorded our intro, Doug, you're right. There are players in the Giants system who don't know how to play the Giants way of baseball. Exactly. <laughs> so they're helping them win by just not playing Giants baseball. <laughs> that, I mean, and maybe that's going to be the key for Vaughn Brown. Just don't know that, that's, that, that he's supposed to be bad. That's it. All right. So I'm putting you on, not putting you on the spot, but now I'm following up. One word to describe the system. I'll say surprising. And it, the reason I say that, because, you know, there were, you had expectations that, you know, Louis Matos was going to have this amazing year and, and he really, really struggled. I mean, Jim Callis was on my podcast a couple months ago and he said that was like the most shocking thing about the 2021 season to him was that Louis Matos didn't hit. Um, and you kind of wanted to see Hunter Bishop, you know, get in the lineup and, and take off and, and Will Bednar and guys like this. And instead it's, it's Von Brown. It's Landon Roop, who was a 12th rounder, you know, last year and has this amazing curveball. It, it was, it was Grant McRae. It's, you know, Nick Avila, who I re- literally at one point in 2021 feared that he was going to be on the cut list pretty soon. And now I think he's going to be on the 40 man, you know, in November. It, so it was like, Guys you weren't expecting had these amazing years. Um, if, you know, you could see them, if you, if you weren't bummed out because, you know, Louis Matos and, and, and Will Bednar weren't having amazing years, there was a lot of really interesting things happening. I think that's a great stopping point. I mean, the season, surprising can cover any emotion. <laughs> this has certainly been a surprising year of Giants baseball at the major league level too. So, uh, Roger, thank you so much for joining us. There are Giants is uh, rogermunter.subsec.com for There Are Giants. Check it out. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, talking us, talk, making me feel better about the Giants minor leagues. Doug, I, I don't know how you feel. <laughs> always love hanging out in my old neighborhood with you guys <laughs> we've outgrown us but it's still nice to come back yes he's definitely coming back and saying like oh that's smaller than i remembered it and that's uh, yeah. <laughs> why is the water fountain so low <laughs> all right take care everybody and uh, i guess just for the next week go giants <laughs> go giants <laughs>